Mike Stockton coming to you from Frankfurt, Amman, Germany. And I'm Balash Renzi coming to you from Karlsruhe, Germany, as always. <laughs> How are you, Balash? I'm good, Mike. You're back. I am back. And Yay. Yeah. And uh, in some ways, it's good to be back. In some ways, it's like I never left. The weather has not changed at all. <laughs> I told you. I told you not to rush back for the weather. Yeah, that's it's you. You were right, and yeah, it's it's been okay. I think mm-hmm. um, you know, just for those out there who are starting to travel a little bit, it is uh, pretty darn normal. In fact, I would say travel, aside from you know the mask wearing, is about one of the more normal things that we do in life these days. It's uh, gotten mm-hmm. pretty slick and easy to, you know throw all your mm. documents into the check-in process on an app and then you just sail through the airport. It's really nice. I was about to ask, how was the trip in terms of, uh, you know, bureaucracy and things like that, but then none. it, it seemed, it's cool. seems that everything's okay. It, it was funny. The last time I traveled was, well, flew was to Dubai for Dubai Watch Week and the only people who gave me trouble, guess. Germany. <laughs> yeah, boy. Exactly. They were the only ones. No smiles, no pleases, no thank yous, which, okay, I, I mean, I live in Germany, so I'm used to that, right? But uh, on the other hand, really, that was the only problem I on the way there and on the way back. That wasn't no, no problem, but passport control, Germany was the only issue. Huh. So, yeah, I, th- that was no issue for me. Um, I would say the airport was up to its old business because the luggage took like 35 or 40 minutes and there was nobody there. Um, Yeah. uh, The airport itself when I landed last Friday was packed, but not the baggage area. So it was a ton of people transiting and you saw, you know, you saw like some classes, you traveling, you know, school kids and, Mm Seem to be more business travelers. I certainly saw business travelers in the lounge, like in uh, Newark. So you heard a lot of people with accents traveling in from UK or other places. So it was nice to hear um, people coming in for meetings and things like that. So yeah, it was nice. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, I was pretty pleasantly surprised. You just never know what it's going to be like, but again, super smooth and you know, still at this stage, the airlines at least are pretty happy to have you, have you traveling. So. Yeah, I guess they, they needed to <clears throat> switch gears, right. And kind of, um, go into survival mode, um, after what happened in 2020 and kind of the slow recovery is now, or maybe it's already recovered. I'm, I'm guessing it's not what it used to be. Obviously you said, but, um, yeah. you can see the prices as well. Yeah. I mean, still, still, you don't have as much business travel going on, I guess, but it's, uh, no, the U S, um, certainly seems more normal in that respect than Europe right now on Mm. on that traveling for meetings and things. So, yeah, Yeah. but, but good to be back, uh, see the family and that kind of thing. Sure. And, you know, then getting faced with, uh, well, 
I know we don't want to talk about COVID too much, but I had to laugh. There were apparently some new rules that came into effect in my state. I don't know about yours, but Mm -hmm. reading them. So they've like dropped the requirements on what, you know, there's no such thing as essential and just normal retail anymore. However, what they have changed to is everybody has to wear FFP2 masks inside now. So they went the other way on that, meaning more strict. And then I started reading about all the rules for events and it was all like, you know, over 10 people, over 150 people or something like that. And what you're required to do. And I just thought, man, just wake me up when this is done because navigating this, you know, I don't know how stores and folks do it. It's so confusing. And frankly, it's getting to a point here where, you know, either the etiquette of wearing a mask, you know, it's like halfway down somebody's face or somebody's wearing the yeah. wrong one and nobody says anything anymore anyway, because people are just so confused or sorry to say hungry for business. Right. Yeah, FFP2 masks, that's a thing here since months now. I don't I don't exactly know, especially inside, like in the office and stuff. <laughs> but the good thing is the the company gives us masks whenever we need and pretty much as, as many as we need. But you usually take one or two at a time, right? But also on like on public public transport and also inside shops, mask and flesh, so mask uh the rule to wear a mask is is there, but also I would say 80% or 90% of the time you also see the FFP2 sign, which means they don't don't allow these surgical masks anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, funnily enough, just today I picked up my QR code for my um, recovered status, okay. um, my Genesene status. Uh, it took the apotheca, so the pharmacy, one week to wow. create this uh, I, uh, uh, QR code. And then I picked it up and there was a problem with my name because from the photocopy, it was very difficult to copy my name, which is usually the case, but they usually mess up the Z and the S in my first name and not my last name. This time they happened to mess up my last name. So then I, I you know, queued up for another 20 minutes while they tried to, I don't know, amend it in the system. And then I, then with the Corona app, I scanned it and instead of adding it to my pretty illustrious list of vaccinations already it gave me another page so i have now two two oh wow pages next to each other one for the three vaccinations and the other one for the for the recovered uh, you're like you're like a boy scout if you're just like picking up badges man that's awesome i, w- I wish i had a leatherman jacket so i can put them on the sleeves <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe Roy Davidoff will let you borrow his uh, NASA patch jacket, and oh, you can uh, and you can put uh, you can put that on there. Hi, Roy. <laughs> Hi, Roy. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should. Yeah, we should um, should start an Etsy shop selling guineas uh, and patches for <laughs> not only diver patches and, and NASA patches, but also vaccine patches and guineas and yeah guess that's the future but yeah um i guess wow, enough of enough of corona talk um so um, maybe yeah. maybe i'll bring up one other point that has nothing to do with watches or covid but um mm-hmm. so i i've been i've mentioned a couple times uh on the show here about the peloton and then when i was in florida i think i mentioned maybe on the last show maybe i didn't but you know no peloton there so 
my dad is a longtime cyclist and he's taller than me. So his bicycles are larger than the ones I would ride, but he happened to have one that is, I would say a size down for him and maybe one size up for me. So I kind of made it work and I cycled basically every day after work down there and I really enjoyed it. And so coming back here, I thought, well, you know, the Peloton is great, but I cannot imagine doing it once it gets really warm here during the summer, if it Mm -hmm. gets really warm. And, uh, I don't know if you guys have this at work, but it's very typical in Germany and different parts of Europe with different rules, I guess. But do you guys have like the Lisa bike or what they call job rad thing? Uh, Yeah. I don't know the name, but we, we do have that. Um, I have not used it because I had a very, very old bike. And a few years ago, I, I, updated or well, basically upgraded to another one um so i bought a, a cannondale mm-hmm. but the thing is i'm not a not a city bike guy because sometimes i go you know into the forest as you know i live next to or inside or on the rim of the forest so i wanted something that's that's between a, a city bike and a mountain bike but i would you know i like mountain bikes better so i bought a a, a proper mountain bike um so i don't have city but and when i have a mountain bike i'm not buying a city bike because it's just I can use a you know a mountain bike in the city, sure, but I cannot use a city bike when I'm on the gravel or whatever. Yep. So I have a mountain bike, but just last year I think they they started, and some of my colleagues bought these pretty expensive uh, bikes for um, yeah thirty forty euro a month lease, and then you can buy it after a few years. I'm not sure what the what the the contract yeah. is. So so our deal like. Um as an employee and it's typically the case, any employee can lease up to two bikes, you know, for their Mm -hmm. family member or whatever as well. And unlike in some countries, I guess the Netherlands, you don't have to use it for work and you can buy any kind of bike as long as it's not motorized beyond like the typical e-bike thing. And like we get, I think, um, 10,000 euros, um, to spread over two bikes, but I think a maximum of 5,000 euros per bike. And that includes insurance. It includes, um, maintenance once a year. And you can, you know, if you're under that 5,000, you can throw other stuff onto it, like a computer or pedals or whatever. And the, um, the lease term is like three years. And then at the end, it's 10% of the original price is, is the buyout. So, pretty amazing you can get like a f- over a four thousand euro bike for 80 euros a month which is i mean it's not nothing but it's um yeah it's better than dropping four and, grand especially how many how many years can do you have to pay that three so that's like eight nine hundred twenty seven plus ten percent of so maybe 31 instead of four grand right thirty one hundred. Yeah, so you save about uh i think you save anywhere from 30 to 40 percent which is yeah kind of neat and the um yeah you know with bikes now there's there's a lot of technology going on which you know you can argue whether you really need it or not but certainly there's a shift from mechanical to wireless shifting and stuff on on bikes and you know the disc brake thing is obviously fully in play but i'm checking out one here shortly and and by the way much like rolex's bikes are uh are obviously in shortage. So I, I found mm-hmm. one and yeah, hopefully in the next week or so I'll pick it up and add that to my, uh, 
repertoire yeah. um, instead of just indoor cycling. So yeah, Definitely. kind of excited about it. Definitely keep us updated. And you can you can get the stand. You can put the bike on a stand for next winter. You know, you can use it. Yeah, I could do. I could yeah. get one of those Wahoo kickers or something. Yeah, yeah, whatever it's called. Indeed. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, one thing I also wanted to mention actually is um, something that probably a lot of you have seen um, if you subscribe to the to the podcast is that last week, uh, or actually, well, this well this week when we recorded, but last week when you're going to listen to it, um, an, an episode came out without you because you were traveling at the time, but with me, and um, it was uh, part of the Fratello on Air podcast, but it was um, a bit different um, because it's the um, it's the new series or a new series that I, that we are going to do um, to maybe to give us some air or if, in case, you know, Mike is traveling. And um, my idea was to interview people in the watch industry from different uh, positions. And the first interview was with Davide Cerato, who is the um, basically the head honcho at HYT. But I interviewed him as a watch designer because that's his main or that was his main Oh, position cool. um yeah it was pretty interesting uh, he he started talking about his career and how he started with ferrero the chocolate company and i said wow we're still talking about ferrero and <laughs> you know we worked for panerai tudor montblanc and hyt and that's a long career so um yeah from time to time i'm not saying every month or once a month but from time to time whenever i'm not able to do it or mike's not able to do it we might uh, bring you another position i think we have a few People lined up, meet the watchmaker, meet the strap maker, meet the CEO. So, yeah, just as a public service announcement. Absolutely. And not that I hope we miss too many uh, episodes, but I do hope that, uh, you know, we meet some meet some pretty cool people. Absolutely. Not the idea, but just in case we, we need to be somewhere, Geneva Watch Days or God forbid Watches and Wonders in March. Or Vacation. Or vacate. Well, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But listen, um, you always ask me, and now I'm asking you, before we jump onto the topic, we have to do a... Controller. Controller. Yeah, boy. Well, I have been somewhat of a one-watch person here uh, since coming back, and I was mm. kind of a one-watch person in Florida as well, but I am wearing my... Uh, Rolex Datejust 16200. Mm. So this mm. is the other blue one that I got and wrote up from 1995, I believe. And this is just the uh, smooth bezel, blue dial, stick indices, no, you know, um, Roman numeral outer track or anything. Yeah. Very simple watch on an oyster bracelet and. I've worn this now for, I guess, like five, six days in a row. So, like I said, since I came back and it has, um, yeah, it's wearing a lot like my original um, late 90s 36-millimeter uh, Explorer, which is exactly what I wanted. So, mm. enjoying is the it, heck out of it. Is it the one where you have the long and then the short, the long, short indexes in between the the hour uh, long our uh, indices like a long painted one, short one, long one, short one, long one, short one. That's the one, right? And then a, a loom no, no, no. dot. No, it does have the loom dots like on the on the ends of the big. Um, yeah, 
stick the tons, but the minute yeah. registers are all the same length. It's it's really like oh, okay. I was talking to a friend who owns a um I believe it's a sixty six ninety four precision, the uh, the manual wind movements that they made forever and my manual wind models that they made forever. And mm-hmm. they were thirty four millimeter and it's got a dial that's almost identical to that. It's just super, super plain. Mm. So yeah, I think I wrote that up right before I left. So yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, yeah, really enjoying the watch and really like how basic and stealthy it is. So yeah, it's classy. I mean, you cannot, as we always say, you cannot go wrong with a day just, you can probably not go wrong with any Rolex unless it's a rainbow Daytona, if you ask me, but <laughs> that's another or leopard, story. leopard Daytona. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not, not playing in that realm. No. Yet or ever. But other than that, it's a it's a pretty classy piece. Um what I'm, about you? I'm, yeah, I I I'm I'm sporting something much bigger. Um I was thinking because I'm still wearing the dogs throughout the week and also the, the big guy Nevada kind of uh switching in between the two. And I, I have to say I really love the docs. I really love this dial color. And it's it's not because of the hype, absolutely not. But it's um it's yeah, it's a great watch. But um because of that today or yesterday, I wanted to change and put something on with a strap. And um I picked up um a quite interesting piece. Um again, it's connected to the Air Force, but it's not an Angelus this time, it's a Certina Chronolympic. And I'm not sure if we talked about this before. I think I might have talked about the watch, I mean, you know, with you, but probably not on the podcast. This is a, um, I guess you would call it a Franken watch now, but it's a Franken watch done by Certina. So you remember there were those um, Eterna chronographs with the Valju 72 movement back yes. in the 70s i guess um sometimes you can read um for sale threads in 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 watch forums with a reference number i don't know if they had a reference number but this is a kind of like a cushion shaped case with a red uh, bezel um volume 726 inside it's a hand one obviously three register chronograph imagine the same watch with um uh, the same red bezel or, or burgundy, but it's a, it's not a 60-minute bezel. It's a Tahimita bezel. And instead of a Terna, it's a Omega, uh, sorry, a Certina Chronolympic dial. So the, the design is basically the same as the Eterna gray dial, three white sub-dials. But instead of Eterna Chrono, it says Certina Chronolympic on the dial. <laughs> and the movement is not a 726, it's a 728. I am so sorry. I have not done my research, so I don't know the difference between the 26 and the 28. Um, but the cool thing is if you open the case and you look at the case back, the case back says, normally it says uh, Eterna Watch Company or Watch Co. Switzerland. And this one um, says Watch Company Switzerland and the Eterna is basically scratched or or buffed out <laughs> you can see it, that it's buffed out twice and there's this over stamp with certina on it so it's it basically says certina watch company but but the certina is a stamp over the, the 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 scratch or the buff and this is not my only watch this is with every watch and 
as far as I remember, as far as I know, this was given to um, uh, helicopter pilots in the 70s. I'm, I'm not exactly sure if 74, 75. So um, there was a year when, when helicopter pilots were graduating and this, this was the watch as part of the navigation equipment that they received. So there aren't many, many of these left. Oh, it's um, a cool, cool yeah. piece. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So that's the one. Um, love you know, that, that, what a weird time period, right? Because uh, I'm just like looking right now at the, um, it made me think of the Excelsior Park Monte Carlo that I own, which is mm-hmm. the, uh, talk about a weird watch. It uses the uh, Corelli case. It has a, the 7740 caliber, which is like used in, almost nothing. And it also has a scratched out, um, the bridge, uh, which was Breitling. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very similar, it's the same scratch. It's probably a, a machine. Yeah, exactly. Like an engine yeah. turn or whatever. Yeah. Just funny stuff. Right. I guess at that time they were just desperate to move watches. And I'm sure the, uh, Hungarian military said, all right, it's still a good watch. And, they're available and we can get them. So yeah, yeah. Th- there's a there was a connection with Certina. They they made uh, or Certina provided watches for the Air Force. They were never ma- never um, inscribed in any way. And I think this this order came in, and somehow they probably wanted to create something special. So I'm guessing everything is done by Certina in house, <laughs> but it was only provided, you know probably for this special order or made for this special order. So um, funnily enough, if you get a really original piece, uh, Eterna used to um, sign their crystal, just like Omega in the center of this, of the crystal, you would see the five dots, which is Eterna's okay. logo. And in some of the pieces, you can still see the five dot crystal. <laughs> so they, the, even the crystal was, I guess the case came from, with the crystal came from Eterna. The movement came from obviously Volju, and then they put it together with a, with a, with a, a chronolympic dial but it's a chronolympic dial that you don't see in any regular certina chronolympics and it even has a um a special reference number which is the uh, 4873904441 and the, and the certina caliber number the 29062 which is their version of the volge 72 uh, movement so uh yeah it was a it's very pretty, very interesting piece pretty awesome footnote in uh watch history isn't it Indeed, indeed, it's a cool watch, and I'm I'm very happy and fortunate to have it because I've really not seen many oh. uh, going for sale. So, yeah, very that's cool. my uh, that's my model. And um, staying with chronographs, why don't you um, maybe introduce this week's topic? It's quite a cool topic, I have to say. But yeah, so we we asked and we got a request from one of our listeners, and yes. I'm going to go ahead and read this out because uh, we mentioned John on a prior episode. He sent us some real thanks, and this time he came back with a suggestion. So here we go. So, hi, Mike. This is John, the one who wrote the comment asking you and Balash to return to the podcast. Thanks, and hopefully we've uh, we've uh, granted your request there. Thanks for the shout-out and returning. I'm sure you guys get this all the time, but just just a thought perhaps for you both to consider for a future podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts on, and here he goes, I've always wondered why the, the Zin EZM-1 never became what the Submariner is to Rolex. It's a great diver. Solid Lamania 5100 movement. 
military limited edition connection. Why wouldn't Sin keep that uh, tradition alive or build upon it? Could it have been what the Speedmaster is to Omega? Leads me to wonder about the Orfina 7176 with the Top Gun and Porsche design connection. Or better yet, the Breguet or Breguet 3800 Aviation Heritage. Dare I say comparable to the Daytona? Again, just a suggestion for a future topic. Regardless, thanks again for coming back on the podcast, you and Balash. I work in a hospital, and during the COVID madness, really appreciate the escape you guys provide. Awesome. Well, thank you, John, and and hey, thanks for all you're doing uh, working in the hospital. We don't Indeed. know what you do, but that's not been a fun place to be over the uh, last couple of years. I mean, Indeed. L- less fun than a hospital normally is, let's put it that way. And I guess both your family and my family is connected to healthcare in one way or the other, so I think we have... Um... We yep. have this, if anybody else, and we know the stories and, 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 and heard, um, how, you know, hard and, and long that these people had to, and still have to work. So yeah. Yeah. Kudos to him and big up to everybody in the healthcare industry, wherever you are. So, you know, John, uh, sent this note and it was, um, you know, he, he wrote it in a conversational style, which is great. Um, so we're, we're going to do a little bit of interpretation here on, the topic. And I think, you know, number of, number of watches, uh, John mentioned the Zen, the Orfina, and then the, uh, Breguet. And I think really what John is getting to here is, you know, either for the brand or for collectors, why are these watches not considered as, you know, iconic as perhaps he thinks they should be. Mm-hmm. So, what we plan to do is talk a little bit about each one and then, you know, just give some thoughts on, you know, why they should be, or maybe why they're not. Mm -hmm. So maybe Balash, uh, you can kick us off with the, uh, Zen, which is a pretty interesting and rather rare watch. Yeah. I think for you and me, Zen is a very interesting brand. It's a brand we love to visit. We usually visit it, them together when we were at what they were and we were at Basel World. So we always had uh, sometimes RJ joined us, sometimes Bert joined us. But as far as I remember, we always paid them the, a visit together and uh, we always had a super great time with them. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the booth was not the largest. So <laughs> if you remember, sometimes we really had to squeeze into a teeny tiny office. But the cool thing about the Sin office or the Sin booth, sorry, at, at the Basel World Fair is they always had every model from the current and maybe even previous collections. Yeah. Remember? So they had this huge window. Every single with, one. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. 50, 80 watches. I'm not sure. Loads Easily. of watches. Yeah. So it was always, you, you could never ask for a watch that they could not produce or uh, like uh, yeah, bring, bring out. Bring or, to, or, to see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I have to say, they have so many models that I'm kind of lost. And if I have to pick my favorite, um, I'm sorry, John, but my favorite has to be the the 103 ST. I think that's a, a chronograph that a lot of people love for its size, for its wearability, for the movement, the look, whatever the case may be. And, and I'm one of those guys. And if you want to buy it on a leather strap, I think you pay 1,800 or something euros, which is guess next to nothing for for what you're getting for your money Hmm. but again there are so many models and uh let's not hijack this 
103 ST. We're talking about the, the EZM1. Um, so we did a bit of research right before the show, and then we realized that the EZM1 is was the first one, 1997, as far as we know. But then you had the EZM1 limited edition in 2008, as you pointed out, Mike. And then we had the EZM1.1 in 2017 to mark the 20th anniversary of the release of the original ECM one, as I said, in 1997. And the cool thing about this watch is that it looks like a time only watch. The dial looks like almost like a time only watch because you don't see a sub dial, but it's actually a chronograph with a legendary Lemania 51 double O movement. And, and that the crown and the pushers are on the left side of the case instead of being on the right side of the case. Um, so, yeah, why don't we talk a bit about that and then maybe we can talk about the Lemania or, or um, even the military connection because John mentioned the military connection as well. Yeah. So, the, you know, the Lemania 5100 is one of these sort of, uh, uh, I guess it's kind of a legendary movement because um, right. for those who don't uh, don't really know what it is, I mean, in, in typical chronograph form where there's a, uh, six nine twelve subdial, which the EZM one does not have. Um, you could just look at it and think it's a seventy seven fifty. But the uh, central chronograph hand, instead of uh, counting seconds when you engage it, it actually is counting minutes. So mm-hmm. some people really like that because it's very easy to look at it and know the elapsed minutes. And in this case, you know the EZM one is really a diver and you know, it has a 60 minute bezel and you can, you know, you can see elapsed minutes very quickly, which um, is pretty neat. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the old uh, Breitling super ocean, the original one with the, or I shouldn't say the original one, but the sixties model. And uh, which is is, is, call it like a slow counter basically, because it also moves very slowly around um, and counts minutes. Um, these watches, um, originally, and I, and I was interested to see this, the, the original watches were 40 millimeter titanium pieces, 16 millimeters thick. <clears throat> the last limited edition that you mentioned, Balash, the one, one, mm-hmm. I think you stated, um, uses a movement based upon the 7750 because the 5,100 movements are discontinued long gone. And it actually comes in at 43 millimeters, which is kind of a shame, I would say. Um, But still very wearable, I guess, for those with larger wrists. Uh, The EZM1 is a bit of a legend. It's it's really, I don't know about you, but when we talk about collectability and just sort of, I hate to use the word grail pieces when it comes to Zen, it seems like this is the one that comes up most frequently when people talk about modern Zen, because of course there were watches from the sixties and seventies, but this is the watch that, um, frequently comes up. And I have to believe that the reason why that it kind of didn't continue was due to that discontinued 5,100 and, you know, Zen has certainly not not short on innovation, but they, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, they had to do some work to get the 7750, I guess, to behave like the 5100, correct? Right. 
So I, I think they, they also seem on these, um, EZM models, which are basically purpose-built mission models, and they're up to, I don't know how many they have now, well over 10. And, you know, they have them for paramedics and rescue timers and different things like that. And some of them kind of remain in the collection, and some of them they just sort of phase out for a while. And for whatever reason, the EZM went went out, and and I do think the movement had a big piece to do with it. Yeah, probably. And as you said, the the seven seven fifty looks very similar, or, or the new new watch from two thousand seventeen, which is limited to five hundred pieces with the seven seven fifty, uh, looks very similar. I especially love the the date at the three o'clock, but it's not really at the three o'clock. But it's also not at the four, and it's not in between, right? It's yeah, it's, it's sort of this weird, <laughs> yeah, like hanging on the on the index at the three o'clock index. And um, I think one interesting thing about the EZM-1 in 1997 was that it was a, um, that the, uh, the, the conditions or the, uh, the reliability um, of the watch was basically um, guaranteed between minus 20 and plus 70 Celsius. And on the EZM-1.1, <coughs> it was minus 45 and plus 80 Celsius. Mm. Which is which is insane, and then it had a, a tegmented um, uh, case, um, a titanium, uh, a stainless steel, uh, not a titanium, titanium looking stainless steel, uh, bead blasted tegmented case. Um, as I said, the, the the chronograph pushers and the crown on the left side. So um, it's basically, I think, designed uh, for left uh, handed. Uh, sorry, so worn on the left hand, but. They wanted to prevent the accidental pushing of the crown with the mm. with the hand, so they moved the the crown and the pushers on the other side. So the watch still should be worn on the left hand, but um, but the pushers are gone. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think the new one also has this uh, uh, little feature on the side of the case. Remember the one point one? Yep. Uh, to I think to measure moisture. Yeah. So the the original the AR humidifying capsule right the, yes yeah Which, exactly so a lot of a lot of interesting yeah yeah AR technology um there's a lot of interesting things uh in a in a watch back in 1997 and the the ezm 1.1 built upon that as you said but in between there was the ezm 1 2008 so i was looking and what, what else is curious is the the latest version is 20 bar uh, water resistant. And the original was 30. So the original is really a beast, you know? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, as far as why this hasn't, you know, why, why Zen didn't continue on? I mean, we talked about the movement. I think that they clearly feel like if they made it a regular collection model now, they would perhaps tick off collectors and those who've bought the limited editions and, and who own the original um, but you know, I was looking and it, it is probably not the, um, the answer you're looking for, uh, John, but the, you know, the EZM three, which is basically just a time only, well, it has a date, but, a a time only version of the EZM one. So it's left-hand drive as well, just without the, um, without the pushers. And it is, 
pretty cool because it is uh, 1,590 euros on strap and 1,790 on bracelet. Now it's stainless steel, so it's not, you know, not titanium, but it is, um, it is a here somewhere in the middle, it's 41 millimeters. So it's not exactly, it's not 40 and it's not 43, but it is only 12.3 millimeters thick. And I think that's actually kind of a neat choice because the dial is spot on with the, um, with the easy M one, of course, just lacking that other hand. So, you know, that's something to consider if you can't find an easy M one, um, funny, uh, I think I told you Balash, uh, our, our, uh, mutual friend G2 happens mm-hmm. to own one and G2 being G2, I ask him every so often and he goes, Oh, he goes, I don't know if I sold that to someone else because I've told him, uh, when he's ready one day to please at least give me a uh, shot at it. So he, uh, he has confirmed he still owns it, although it's been a few weeks since I've asked him. So I better go ask again. You should, but you should talk him definitely. Um, but, Have you, have you, by the way, have you looked at prices for the uh, Easy M1? They're expensive. They're, yes, I yeah. did. I, I did uh, look up. Uh, well, I, I could only find one on Chrome 24 from 1997. And um, have you seen it or you want to guess the price? Hmm. Is it $10,000? $14,000. Well, G2, I think uh, we'd better wait for the next recession because, uh, yeah, I um, I think uh, I should have pushed him harder a couple years ago. Either that, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's $14,000. Or you should have joined the Zentrale Unterstützungsgruppe Zoll, Mm. which is the Central Customs Support Group. Um, okay, they have the new version, the 1.1. But I, I'm thinking um, in 19, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening. But the the the, the ZUZ, or, or well, as I said, Centrale Unterstützunggruppe Zoll, um, was also formed in 1997 when this watch came out. So I'm uh, guessing it was it was supplied to the to the force back then. And then it's a actually it's a police tactical unit of the German the customs uh, which many of us who live in Germany love and we always talk about them and, you know, and their moms sometimes when we get letters from them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're reformed in 1997. And then um, the um, EZM 1.1 was also a model that was used by this, these um, police There officers in, in 2017. So that's where the, it's not really a military connection, but it, it is a tactical police force. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I I can't understand what the German customs unit would need such a bulky dive or such a hardcore diver for other than maybe there's some missions that happen on rivers or uh show off the seas or so yeah, true. I mean, yeah, I guess it's just I'm guessing it's just a very sturdy piece yeah. that um that they they just got actually while while you were talking i found this on since website it says indeed the ezm one which in 1997 was the first mission timer we developed for the special units of the german police department and customs authority marked the dawn of an impressive era etc etc so it was developed for them i'm sorry i have not done my research correctly again so um yeah why why a diver i guess it's just sturdy it's robust and um maybe If we see the guys from Sin again, 
Hi, Simone. Hi, Volker. Maybe we can ask them next Maybe time. Maybe you should have asked when you went through the airport the uh, on the way back from Dubai and they were <laughs> asking you so many questions. You should have asked them. Well, next time, that's going to be my icebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really need my passport back. And by the yeah. way, look at that watch. Isn't that a beauty in sir, Frankfurt? Sir, come with us. Yeah. <laughs> How fitting is it to wear a watch from Frank in at the Frankfurt Airport from a brand in Frankfurt? Awesome. Oh yeah. So, moving on to our next uh, watch, which is one that I have to say is not one of my favorites, but um, hmm. I think you did some research on this, so I'm I'm interested to hear more about the Orfina seventy one seventy six with optional peeling case. <laughs> yes <laughs> for those of you who like a little bit of wabi um yeah the orfina 7176 porsche design or orfina 4 porsche design however you want to call it it's a watch from the 70s it's it's um it was released in 1972 some say 1973 but i think it's 1972 and you will see soon see why um this is a black as mike said it's a black pvd case so you know, Mike, it's kind of you know this is this is a very funny special cushion shape, right? Because it kind of starts as a cushion, but then the the lugs kind of thin out a bit. So it's it's, it's a very strange shape, but I guess it's still a cushion shape, get a C shape case, whatever you want to call it. And it's black PVD coated, so um, it's the very oh, one of the very first. I'm not sure if it's the first, but it's one of the very first PVD coated watches. Hmm. And as such, PVD coating technology at the time was, you know, not what it is today. And hence, as you said, it's, uh, yeah, it can flake and th- you can definitely see the contour of the, of the case in that where the edges are, there's a bit of a uh, silver or stainless steel kind of peeking out under the black. And um, going back to the EZM1, there's the connection. It also has a Lemania 51 zero zero movement uh, 42 millimeter case that's relatively normal mostly comes on a bracelet and the funny thing or the interesting thing or how people remember this in pop culture is that it's it's a watch worn by pete mitchell aka, AKA maverick aka tom cruise <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so that's the watch worn by by uh, tom cruise in 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 top gun and well, we a few episodes ago we talked about the new Top Gun movie, and we talked about probably the Orfina not coming back. They might have something else uh, on the wrist. It would be cool to see him, or maybe see the watch on a on a you know bedside table or something, just as a as a nod. Um, but another thing why this is important or this piece is important for Porsche design and for I guess for watch history is because this was the very first watch. Um, very first Porsche design watch made mm-hmm. exclusively by Orfina for Porsche design. So now, obviously, Porsche design is a huge company. Um, they they design, you know, electronics and and luggage, clothing, clothing, luggage, yeah. clothing, sunglasses. They also have their own line of watches. Of course, we also covered them. But back then, it was a it was a new venture, um, and this was the very first watch that came out and that the time since they had no, no possibility to create it or FINA uh, exclusively created or, or produce these watches for them. And while I'm talking about 1972 or 1973 is because this year, Porsche design now a 
full-fledged watch company is released a special edition to pay tribute to that um, piece from the 70s. So hence, we think it's 1972, obviously. And also on Porsche Design's website, it says 1973. Some other people said it's 1972, sorry. Some other people said it's 1973. But um, yeah, a new model came out, limited edition to... uh, I think 500 pieces, 40 millimeter, 40.8 millimeter case, um, you know, titanium case with black um, PVD coating, um, priced around 7,000 euros. So, you know, yeah, yeah, not cheap. So I have to say, I really like the new one, but that price is, is pretty wicked. Um, mm. One thing I was reading here, I'm <clears throat> checking out a really nice article by our friend Waco, um, who who did an article on this newest one, but gave a good history here. And in fact, Balash, it seems like the earliest um, chronograph ones were 7750s, and they later switched to a 5100. It, it sounds Could like be. there was a bit of a supply issue. Um, In which and- case I stand corrected. Could be. No, I, I I thought as well it was only fifty one hundred, and then the um, the other thing is that it looks like there were German uh, military versions as well with the famous three yeah. H, correct? Exactly, and then that that one had the military uh, um, inscription or the military text on the dial. So I, I there were some further models after this one that came out, and some of them had the black cases, and some of them had the sandblasted cases. Um, but the, the the very first one, I think, which is the, the new limited edition is based on, is the is the the Top Gun watch, and this is from from 1972, and that's the black one with the black uh, bracelet and and uh, hmm. um, the Porsche design on the dial under the the uh, day date aperture. So what blows me away here, and it's not completely the case, but these are. Um... You know, these watches struggled to sell for more than like 1,200 euros not that long ago. And they're mm-hmm. now every bit of 3K up to yeah. an easy, yeah, I would say three to 4,000. And <clears throat> not my favorite watch, but um, I think it was it was probably underpriced for what it was before just being a bit of an icon or at least a, you know, kind of a, an underground icon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the Speedy Mark IIs, right? They were not the most eye catchers, I guess, or or hingookers. <laughs> there you go, or loved loved models back in the day, and even I think until a few years ago. And now, if you if you pay attention to the prices, they they. I mean, you have the Mark II uh, racing. I have the Mark II racing. I actually bought my Mark II racing after trying on yours. And they are now they're going up in price, and even though they have the the the, the classic cushion yep. shape or, or C shaped case, so I guess that's just the market. I mean, I, I did yeah, the people, research. Mm-hmm. People yeah. people look for other things, right? When they can't, yeah, yeah. And and, and I don't again, I don't want to hijack the topic, but if you look at the Mark II Racing, that's a pretty sweet dial. I think. Oh that's yeah, the beautiful dial, beautiful colors, whatever. So. Uh, yeah, the cheapest I could find, um, cheapest Orfino, I mean, Porsche design I could find was 2200 maybe. And mm. that was... Not great shape. 
that was yeah that's the one that you can imagine that uh, maverick would have won for 15 years and i don't know how many missions <laughs> it looked like that permission to per, permission to do a flyby permission granted so uh maybe just on that um you know looking at that watch there you know here again zen um i think did a a limited edition watch with a very similar case not long ago. And I think that was based upon an earlier piece. I own a manual wind Lejeure with a PVD case from the seventies that is very similar, except that it has a boy. I can't remember which, uh, Valjoux. It has a 77 34, maybe, but if it has a date, it should be a 34, right? Yeah. So it has a date and it's, um, yeah, it has a like a three o'clock and a nine o'clock register. So there are options out there at, um, for, for less cost. And certainly, you know, there were plenty of, call it no-name brands using PVD cases that were mm-hmm. pretty similar. I think the automatic piece was pretty novel and... But still, again, you can find, as we spoke about in a prior episode, you can find some plenty of 7750 chronographs and probably even some 5100s that could have a similar case shape, whether or not they're PVD coded. Good question. Um, and as for why this didn't become legendary, I don't know. I, I, I think that C cases, you know, had their day and and now they're sort of back and in, in that they're an option from some companies. But mm. I, ju- I just think they... The styles changed, um, but there's clearly no shortage of of seventy seven fifty powered chronographs. Um, I just think that um, time moved on from that one. Yeah, and I think and Orfina, Orfina fell apart as well, right? Exactly. So. That's what I, that was. That's what I was about to say. The Orfina brand, it's an actual watch company, right? It was not a company founded by Porsche for this watch. It was a, it was a company that was founded in, in Grenchen in, in Switzerland uh, in 1922. But even, and funnily enough, the Orfina uh, watch company is still alive. They have one model and it's a very different model that, that this one, but they have a model. And, um, but on their page, they, they're probably, they, they only accolade is that they, they were the ones who created a Porsche design watch yeah. back in the day. Um, and well, it's worth mentioning that that watch, the Porsche design, was was designed by Ferdinand uh, Alexander Porsche. The 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 same uh, designer who in um, basically created the nine eleven. So um, it's in this sense a very iconic watch. Um, but yeah, Orfina was just not a. a, a a large company, I guess they don't really, when you search for Orfina watches, you mostly come across these pieces, mm-hmm. nothing really other than that. So I guess that could be the reason why it disappeared or it never really uh, reached that legendary status. Although Porsche design now, as we see with the limited edition, probably tries to build, you know, upon that piece and the momentum kind of. So, you know, one other thing to mention here, and not that these are cheap either, although, yeah, maybe in stainless they are. Um, we all know, uh, I don't want to say unfortunately, but, you know, when, uh, to me, Porsche design working with IWC was really a highlight. And then mm-hmm. after that, they went and worked with Eterna. Yeah. 
And if you look up on Chrono 24, just Porsche design Eterna, you will also see a, um, a very similar chronograph that at least in PVD, I found one and it, it made reference to the fact that it was a 25 year anniversary of the Orfina. So to your point, um, Porsche design, uh, historically just worked with different brands to create their watches and mm-hmm. these, um, at least the Eterna version in stainless. So not PVD covered coated is geez. You can pick these up for 1200 to yeah. 1700 euros. The, the, uh, coated ones are more on the realm of the vintage ones, a little bit cheaper. I see between 2,800 and, you know, almost 4,000. So right. something to consider. I mean, here again, 7750 inside so shouldn't shouldn't treat you wrong no and if you look at if you search for 7750 you can see pvd caged watches the good thing about 7750 is the dial pretty much looks the same on every model right so you can see uh yeah. crotons for example which i think i'm not sure if croton was orfina's uh, american brand name but you can see crotons you can see the hoya pasadenas with the black pvd case very similar looking watch you can see the um the hoyer Similar to Hoy Montreal that I talked about a few weeks ago, although that's not a PVD coated case, but there's a galley with a black PVD case. There's a Longines that looks very similar. So there's a ton of options out there. Yeah. So moving on to our, uh, on to the last uh, watch that uh, John mentioned here. So this is the uh, Breguet 3800, which um, to put that into other terms is the Type 20, the modern Type 20, which, uh, came out in 1995 and today if i'm not mistaken breguet makes a type 21 and some additional models so the 3800 that uh john mentions is no longer around with us and this is a curious watch because it takes from military models from decades before Mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's really kind of inspired by military models, but this is a watch that was never issued by uh, any military or anything. And in fact, is kind of like a sort of this weird hybrid between a, a, a semi-high-end luxury watch and uh, something that's it's a little bit tool-like. And just reading about this, so the Type 20 was introduced in... 1995 and the model that I think that John refers to and that I think we're probably most familiar with is the, sorry, I don't speak French here, but it's the Aero Navel. So Aero Navy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is a pretty darn traditional looking three handed chronograph with, uh, syringe hands, a, um, 60 minute outer bezel, no date, thankfully, and coming in somewhere right around uh, 39 millimeters with um, a uh, thickness of 14.4 millimeters. And this watch for me is one that I'm constantly shocked because when you see Breguet, you, you think big, big money, right? And Mm-hmm. When you look these up and and what's cool about them is that because they're from 95, you can find earlier ones that are tritium dialed and they, they look at, which is usually like a, a calling card for collectors, but yet they seem to sell somewhere in the 5,000 euro range, which 
on the surface of it just seems like a steal. But you read a little bit more, and this is not to put these down because I still think they're neat watches. Um, and and I think our uh, our friendly neighborhood Robert John um, <laughs> said this when I when I was asking a question about these once. He said, "Yeah." Those early 3800s were not built in the same way of of how you think of uh, Breguet, Breguet today. Nowadays. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and and that's kind of notable or noted when when you look at one in the pictures because they have these really highly polished cases. They used like a ridge side, which gave it a little bit of um, continuity with their dress watches. Kind of odd for for a watch like this, but. Yeah, the, 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 let's just say the edges and everything look pretty, they, they, they don't look exquisitely formed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the dials and the loom and things like that. I mean, we get it true tritium and stuff like that, but it's, it's basically everything is, is printed and these things can often show more wear than perhaps they should. Um, all that being said, I've always really liked these. And I, and I, I think that um, at 5K for a Breguet and what is a very classic looking watch, and here again, I got to applaud it. Um, no date. Um, really cool numerals, uh, Arabic numerals all around the dial. You know, three, three register uses the, um, well, it gets a, a, an internal um, movement number the 582, but it's based on the Lamania 1350 automatic. Um, you got these three sub dials, um, and all of them use a different hand. I mean, it's a cool, cool looking watch, but for whatever reason, and perhaps that quality piece is, is more, um, of an issue than, than I think it is. Um, these have never really taken off. Yeah. On Breggy's website, you can still find a 38, zero zero st okay slash 92 slash 9 w6 and the price is 9100 euros okay so they are still making a 3800 okay yeah on on or at least this on the website um but you're absolutely right when i search for the watch that's also what what popped into my mind that it's about six five six seven grand depending on the condition and obviously the year if you search uh on chrono 24 for a 3800 you've before the 2000s, you find uh, how many? Two, four, six, seven pieces, starting at five, four, and ending up at sixteen, five. Hmm. Box and papers, but yeah, it's around five, four, five, 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 nine, five, nine, five. So around five to six grand, you can get one. I have to say, it's not really my favorite. I, I, I'm not sure this the the polished case, the polished steel bezel, but then the pump pushers, and then the big hands and the big numerals. It's I understand that because I, I know the the other um, French Air Force watches from the time, the vintage ones, right? And and I know this is a re-edition of those pieces. Um, but, yeah. It's much different. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, you know, the 90s are a weird uh, period. Like, if you look at cars from there, stuff is a little bit bubbly and not, mm. it's just not tight and... I mean, I'm looking at this great article on these watches, and we'll put this in the link. It's, um, yeah, the the site is called, uh, oh, it is, uh, well, it's 
donindiano.net. So D-O-N-I-N-D-I-A-N-O.net. And it has this fantastic article on here, but I'm scrolling down and I'm looking at the bracelet and it's just, it's just this polished, frankly, nineties mess. And, you know, it's got a, like a, I guess a, it's not a butterfly clasp, I guess it's deployant, but you know, it's, 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 it's a hidden clasp. So it's, it's like they really couldn't separate themselves from the dress watch um, collection on this piece. And I think to your point, you know, I could deal with a polished bezel. I think that's cool because it reminds me of like the old um, Breitling um, 765s. But the polished case and just sort of those rounded edges and that fluted uh, side case and the bracelet, just not good. Just not good. I think, um, yeah, that's that's probably the piece that is. Uh, those are some of the things that have held it back. That being said, it's still a very important part of their collection. And you know, who knows? Maybe if I saw one of these in person again, I would take to it and say, "I've got to, I've got to pick one up." Um, yeah, it could be. I think. I think the other thing I was reading the history of uh, Breguet, and I mean, they were really passed around to a lot of owners um, before, you know, ultimately getting rescued by Swatch. And they, um, you know, they were with Hoyer, they were with Ebel, and they, um, I, I think they, um, they, they said this model is basically the one that kept them alive. So, mm. you know, for that, for that reason alone, I think there's a lot to, uh, to give credit to this watch for. I mean, at the end of the day, as you said, it's still a Breguet, right? Even if it was built in the 90s and maybe if the quality is, is not up there with the new models, uh, it's still it's still uh, that in this part of, part of uh, watch history. And then, it, and then, okay, granted, if you look at the, um, you know, all the other um, type 20 watches, so watches, that were that were used by by French Air Force or the French pilots. They all look very similar, right? They all have these huge loomed uh, numerals. Uh, they all all have pump pushers. Most of them have the big steel bezels. Um, if you look at the vintage Breguet and the modern, so the the inspiration, I'm guessing it is very similar to the to this one. Hmm. And I guess you can pick the 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 silliest BMW from the '90s or 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 Audi or whatever that did not sell at the time, it's still a BMW, right? It's still an Audi. Sure. So as you said, even even though the the watch industry, just like the 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 car industry, just like the watch industry, I mean, had its flaws in the '90s and fashion as well, and so many other things. Yeah, it's maybe it's a it's a novelty piece. I don't know, but it's. I th- I don't know. I I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I mean, I think that okay. The other two watches we looked at are, are far more niche, and first one, the Zen, very limited. Um, I don't know. I, I I think you know. The more I think about it, one of these for five k, and that's probably probably do a little bit better than that with negotiating. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the best, worst buy in the world. Um, no, the fact no. they still make a watch that looks very similar, um, albeit, yeah, probably better built, which you'd hope so. Um, pr- 
probably makes this decent. I, you know, John asked, you know, why this didn't become kind of legendary like a Daytona. I mean, I think a, a number of things, you know, I, I don't know of any point in the last 30 years where Rolex made a badly made watch. And, <laughs> you know, the other thing is, despite the fact that the Daytona did use a third party movement for, or at least in its automatic life earlier, um, certainly for its manual wine life, but the, the, the one they used as a third party was a El Primero, which is a pretty epic movement. This is, you know, the Lomania here is certainly a serviceable movement, but I don't think carries that pedigree. And, um, yeah, I mean, those two things, I think, um, perhaps keep it. Um, uh, I also think that a strictly military kind of styled watches is also not as attractive to all buyers for whatever reason. Yeah, this could this this is a good point. This this could be one of the reasons. But at the end of the day, it's it's a breguet. Um again, as I said, however, it is also true what what we've talked about quality and also the fact that breguet kind of went into a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the overall catalog of breguet now, the 3800 really stands out. It stands out because it takes inspiration from vintage piece, yes, but it also stands out because modern breguet pieces don't follow that at, so, all. at all. So yeah, so when you wear it, it, it could also even look like a vintage piece from a from a distance, and and definitely not like a breguet. Whereas if you look at modern breguets, they they all look kind of similar. It, it um, strangely, I mean, this is a, a maybe a bad comparison, but I was walking by a little. Uh, antique shop i don't know a few weeks ago here and they had a i don't know what it would be balash a 50s or early 60s moser in the window like with a mm-hmm. gold plated case and you know just looked like your typical dress watch i think it was like a couple hundred bucks or something like that it was kind of neat um to see that but very different <laughs> from the the brand that's there oh, today yeah. so I feel like this watch is, you know, kind of like that um, in the sense that, yeah, it very it differs very much from the rest of the collection. Uh, again, not a one-for-one analogy there, but it, it's sort of like an oddball in that regard. Is it something that you would rock? What, the Breguet? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I kind of would because, like I said, like I have a Breitling 765 that is pretty darn similar and is very similar to all these historic, uh, aviation models. I mean, when you think about like the, um, oh, what is the uh, vintage piece you just picked up? Um, the aviation. yeah, the Benrus Sky King. There's a lot of similarities there, um, in terms of just the dial design, right? You just spoiled one of my future, uh, Handgelenks controller. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's true. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the black dial, large, loomed, or, well, radium or, or whatever, tritium uh, painted numerals, um, two sub-dials, white writing, white white branding, but otherwise simple black case. I guess it's it's those are military pieces or at least military-esque pieces. So what's the idea? The idea is that it's it's easily readable, um, and that's it. It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to have three dials of, or three colors on the dial of four. Just have to be functional, and that's what they are. Yeah, I'm. I'm I don't know if I'm uh, betting that this is going to um, allow me to retire five years earlier if I picked one up. But I think it's a. I think it's a good buy and should be serviceable. 
pretty darn serviceable, certainly more so than a, than an in-house, uh, brigade movement, right. Uh, from, from a normal, uh, watchmaker and th- there's nothing offensive about it at all. It's, it's a, it's a pretty good looking aviation styled watch. So as we say, if you pick up a tritium one, which I think is cool, um, uh, not a bad, not a bad thing to to consider. I, I I would say, frankly, just off the, if I were looking at all three watches at a glance without you know going into real detail or knowing what I know about them, the um, the Breguet is probably the one that stands out most to me just from a typical styling tropes perspective. Mm. And I mean, these are automatic watches, whereas the original vintage. Breguet was manual. manual wind, but um, you don't really see a lot of movement shots because it's a steel, it's a full uh, steel case back, which is cool, actually. Which is which is cool, and there's a lot of like on on most Breguet watches, have a lot of writings and numbers and things like that. But if you if you manage to find a, a movement shot, and you, I, you know you can you can um, Google it, and, and I think you will find a, a few. Um, it's the uh, the Breguet caliber 582 and uh the movement is is beautifully made or beautifully decorated of course it's yep. a it's a Breguet so it has to be um and uh i think it's also a flyback it's a it is a flyback uh, lemania as you that. said yeah it's a 1350 lemania as you said yep and it's a flyback column wheel chronograph automatic uh, column wheel chronograph movement so a very very decent and and I use decent in in quotation marks. It's a very nice movement yeah. inside of it. And for that five grand or six grand for a Breguet with this movement, yeah, it's not not a, not the not the worst. You could do so, worse. Yeah, yo yo, much much worse. So, kudos uh, again, uh, John, for for uh, bringing this watch to our attention. Yeah, great great pick. Yeah, so. Again, John, um, as Balash said, thanks for bringing that watch and all of those watches to our attention. That was a it was a fun fun uh, trio to discuss there, and I can tell you we would not have discussed those um, on our own. So, you know, keep those suggestions coming, whether that's John or anyone listening to us, and we're happy to happy to do a little bit of homework and just give our thoughts on these watches and maybe some other other picks. So. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Any, anything else you want to mention, Balash? Um, no, not really. I think it was a great episode, and um, we finished uh, the, or I think we finished the case materials uh, topic last week, um, or the week before, actually. So it was a great um, kind of maybe segue into something new. We'll see what that will be. But in any case, as Mike said, please send us your questions or, or topics or suggestions because we're more than happy to talk about that. And um, I also hope that we manage to answer your questions, John, or at least, uh, you know, give you a, a, an episode that you can listen while at work or at home. Uh, it was really cool. I, I love to do the research on the Orfina and also the Sin. And Mike and I, we talked about uh, maybe doing something in the future with sin, we will see. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. Absolutely. Well, Balash, with that, I'm going to leave you to your evening. And uh, Mike is out. And Balash is out. <laughs>